We all have big dreams, but far too often we never give them a chance to come true. Well, that all changes today. Welcome to Just Keep Learning, where we'll help you develop the right mindset, be more productive, and learn more effectively so you can accomplish anything. Here's your host, Justin at Just Tries. All right, welcome back, JKL gang. Our guest today is the founder of Counterweight Creative, a podcast agency and podcast marketing academy. His main backgrounds combine audio engineering and marketing to make him a leader in the world of podcasting agencies, but he's also quite strong as a writer and content creator. He provides so many great ideas about how you can learn to follow your intuition and also some practical tips to help you scale your podcast or business. Please welcome to Interview 28, Jeremy Enns. So one of my favorite ways to fire up an episode is to give people an opportunity to do that whole self-introduction idea, not because I don't do my research, but I just love to hear all of the different things that people do. So if you could go ahead and let's say I was bringing you into a school to speak to some students, how would you introduce yourself? Who are you and kind of what do you do? Yeah, so I kind of have taken a a meandering path, I guess, as we all do through podcasting. And really, I went to school for audio engineering. So I wanted to work in the music industry initially and pursued that for a little bit before now discovering podcasting about six years ago, starting out as a freelance uh, podcast editor. And so very much on the technical side of things. And over time, I got too much work and started building a team around me. So I became much more of a business owner who didn't do a lot of the actual practical work, which is still, you know, part of what I do now is manage the team of podcast editors and uh, writers and designers and all that kind of stuff for my agency, Counterweight Creative. And so that's where we produce other people's shows. They kind of do all the recording, send everything to us, and we kind of repurpose the content and polish it up. In the past year or so, I've gotten more into the education side of things, specifically around marketing for podcasts in specific, um, but also, you know, a lot of marketing foundation uh, kind of principles apply to to everything. So that's what I'm, I'm most excited about right now is really the uh, writing and creating content and teaching people about how to make marketing less scary and something that they actually you know, hopefully actually have fun doing because I mean, I came from a creative background and hated the word marketing and have since shifted my whole relationship to what marketing can be. And now it's one of the most fun things I do. See, and I feel like a broken record between episodes because that's the exact reason why I love doing that self-introduction. There are so many things that you mentioned that would be really interesting for us to dive into. And one of those things in particular is the idea of going to college for audio engineering. So maybe if you could take us on a bit of a backstory in terms of your learning, whether it was when you were younger, like high school, or what led you into making a college-based decision to pursue audio? Yeah, so I I mean, I was always a, a kind of star student. Uh, I never had to try hard at school. It was it was easy for me right from elementary up through high school. But at the end of high school, I mean, if anybody who's, you know, in probably, I mean, I, I don't know what age it starts, but probably from grade nine, almost, you start getting that, you know, what are you going to do after high school? And I never had not once had a solid answer for that. And I think there's a lot of frameworks out there or, you know, online quizzes even or types of like aptitude assessments where it's like, if you're good at these things, consider these careers. And so I was always like, I enjoyed math and the kind of logical side of things, which is, is funny because like, I never liked English class. And now I most strongly I identify as a writer, which is maybe says something about the way school is set up specifically related to more creative fields, um, but never liked anything 
anything to do with writing in school, even though looking back far enough, I was actually at my mom's place uh, a couple months ago, going through old school stuff from grade one, two, three. And there were all these stories that I had written that I have no memory of these, but they were elaborate, like not novels, but like, you know, fictional stories that I had written. I was like, wow, look, this, this has been going on for a long time. And I just never put two and two together. And somehow it got kind of squeezed out of me in some way. And I had to come back to it later. So I, I was very much thinking about all these like math-based engineering, these types of things where I was like, well, given the things I like in school, the subjects I like the most, this is probably the careers that, you know, would be the best fit for me. But it just never resonated with me. There was nothing that like, it just didn't feel right. And something I've always known about myself is like, I, I have a strong sense of intuition, I think about myself, like I, I very much make decisions based on on feeling and I'm a very rational, logical person. But there comes a point where I just can't convince myself, even when all the logic is saying do this thing, if I'm not feeling it, I just don't do it. And so it was kind of that situation where I was like, well, these are probably things I could do. I'd probably be good at them. I'm always, you know, I've been good at everything I've done related to school. And I just was like, but I'm not certain about it. And so I put off uh, after high school, I ended up taking, I think, three years off, maybe four years, something like that. And I worked odd jobs. I did a bunch of construction. I worked in warehouses. I worked in a kitchen, uh, in the, uh, in like the dish pit. And so did all these different jobs. Finally, like I'd always been really into music. And so I played guitar, I played in bands in high school. And after that, and that was always my, my dream was to, you know, play in a band, tour the country, tour the world and, uh, and make it that way. I don't know if it's for better or for worse, but I was into like hardcore heavy metal bands, which is a niche audience to begin with and not a ton of money in that compared to, you know, being a pop star, maybe you could say there's less competition as well, but just a hard way to make a life, uh, I think. And so I had a lot of fun doing that. And it was somewhere in there that I realized, you know, got into recording and some of this stuff, figuring it out on my own. Somehow I, I must have found my way onto some kind of online list, but there was a school in Vancouver. I got, actually got a brochure in the mail. I was living in Saskatoon at the time, got a brochure in the mail from this audio engineering school. And it just seemed like this serendipitous thing. And I was like, oh, this is an actual career. Like I could do this. And it was the first thing that I felt like I could actually see myself doing this for the rest of my life. And there had been nothing before that. And so really this was kind of something adjacent to music and something that as I'd begun to experiment with kind of recording my own stuff and uh, some of the stuff in the, with the band that I was playing in, I realized like this is actually something I, I like maybe just as much. It's a different kind of pursuit, but it's something that I find really fulfilling. So that was kind of how it what led me to to go move to Vancouver to go to audio school in the first place. It would be awesome to hear some of your music, and I would also love to talk about the whole idea of creating music. Again, wasn't something super expected heading into this episode. <laughs> One of the things that you mentioned, though, you were really wise in your response, by the way, because I feel like you brought up a lot of the things that I would have already asked in terms of follow-up questions or threads. But one of those concepts is the idea of intuition. It's a topic that's really interesting to me, too. And I'm curious, when you say that you're good at intuition, what do you mean? I have thought about this quite a bit because it's something that is innate to me. And I think it's a skill you can learn. I don't know how I would start teaching someone that, although it's something that I've actually recently, like I write about it, I touch on it here and there. And so I've started even actually just this morning, I was journaling a bit on it today and kind of it, the word kept coming up in related to other more practical, like marketing and creative stuff. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. I need to spend more time thinking about this. For me, it's, it's something that I, I don't know that I can quite put into words, but there's a feeling that I like when something clicks, like I know it and I know 
from looking back at past experiences, I can connect the dots kind of, of say like, okay, when I felt that and I did it, like it often, more often than not works out. When I do something and I don't feel it, like when I had that doubt, I rarely ever find it in going forward. There's, I'm kind of even split on that because I think sometimes when you learn the most, I kind of think, I think a lot about getting clarity because I, I think everybody's always struggling for more clarity. Very rarely do we ever have like, this is exactly what I, what I want to do. And I know exactly the route that I'm going to get there. And so for me, one of these kind of things that is just turned up again and again and again is the only way to get clarity is to take like one step forward. And I kind of use this analogy of like walking through this, this fog or driving through this fog where you just have to kind of keep going. You're only ever going to see 20 feet ahead of you and standing still, you're just going to still keep seeing that same 20 feet ahead of you. But if you keep driving, you know, that illuminates each foot you go illuminates another foot ahead of you. And so it's about like keeping going. So intuition is, I think like something that I, I rely on, but I don't always like have a strong sense of it. A lot of times I'm like, well, I don't feel a strong pull in any direction. Like maybe if I take two steps forward, I'm going to find that thing there. Yeah. And the reason that I asked was it's something that I tweeted recently about how I really feel strongly that we can actually learn intuition. Mm -hmm. That intuition is not one of those skills that you would necessarily see in a course syllabus or an elective course in high school. But the idea of being able to learn intuition, I think it is a very learnable skill. And I'm just really actually excited about that in the moment and want to learn more and more about that concept. You know, how do we learn it? Maybe more importantly, how do we teach it or how do we model it? And it also, mm -hmm. when you're given that example, of the uh, windshield analogy, it reminds me of something that my football coaches used to say. It was kind of a classic thing to say, uh, make mistakes at full speed. And I think the concept behind that is the idea that as we make more and more mistakes, but moving full speed, we are trying to train kind of that uh, non-thinking part of our brain that will just learn to read and react and not make those same mistakes in the future or be able to find success quicker in the future because it's a fast paced game of football. Yeah, the thing I've been thinking about a lot over the past year and kind of writing around this as well is it sounds like I, d I don't like saying this in my messaging and marketing because I feel like it would attract a different audience than what I want. But for me, one of the things that I'm realizing is that at the core of success in, in almost anything, but especially in like creative work or anything where you are creating something yourself is this like self-awareness level. And I feel like you can get into this whole like, you know, meditation and all this kind of stuff that I think is there's a lot of value to it. I don't meditate, but I think that self-awareness is this underlying thing that is the better you know yourself, the better you're able to say what is going to work for you in the future and recognize doing a little bit of self-assessment of like, okay, when I made a decision that didn't work out, why did I make that decision? What led me to do that? What leads me to make decisions that do work out? Just having that understanding of who you are, I think that's where the intuition kind of comes in. It starts with this observation of yourself, how you make decisions, how you think about things, what influences, you know, everything you do and are you having success with that or not? And being able to say like, probably it's not external. There, There's, you know, exter external forces affect all of us. But, you know, a lot of that is based in, you know, how we are perceiving the world and then reacting to it. And if you know that about yourself, you can say like, I know I have a tendency to do this and this doesn't serve me. Or I know I have a tendency to do this or I have this feeling that I often ignore when probably that's actually the right thing to lean into. And so for me this year, it's kind of been realizing that the things that I've had success with are the things that are actually based in my intuition where I'm like, I think I should do this. And it seems to contradict the common knowledge or like the, the conventional wisdom. And yet I do do that thing, the conventional wisdom for a while, and I bang my head against the wall. And then when I finally lean into the thing that I thought I should do all along, all of a sudden it's successful. And so I think that a lot of us are actually like that. And I think there's something to be said about like, you can just sustain the things that you enjoy doing a lot longer and there's less friction. It's more fun. And so a lot of times those things actually end up working out. 
That's really interesting. I wouldn't say you have me stumped, but you have me thinking about other things mm. and just wanting to sit and reflect for a bit in a way, because that's something that I hadn't really thought of as it relates to intuition is the idea that perhaps if we are the type of person who blames, you know, who has a victim mentality and sees external factors or forces as a guiding force in our life, then perhaps that's something that actually yeah. gets in the way of our ability to develop intuition. It's kind of an interesting thought. Yeah, I, I remember, I don't think about this a lot anymore, but uh, what is the guy's name? He was a US uh, Navy SEAL, uh, Jocko Willink, I think, and he was on the Tim Ferriss show, kind of, he became very popular then, now he has his own podcast. But uh, I can't remember if it was his book that I read, or I think he was a co-author on it, but he talks about this, like, what is it, radical ownership? And I've heard that, I, I'm sure it's come from, from the Navy but also probably from elsewhere as well. But just this idea of no matter what happens, just taking ownership of that situation, even if somebody else did something like looking at yourself and being like, what could I have done to prevent that? And personally, I think that there is some nuance there to be had. Like some people are always going to mistreat you. And if you hang around them, it's like bad things will happen to you. And so maybe then it's like, actually, well, I couldn't have done anything to prevent that, but I can just get out of this situation. I can go somewhere else. But I think that's a helpful kind of thought experiment sometimes, especially when you're really feeling like blaming someone that's when I'm when I'm like really feeling that like in my body then that's often when I have a cue to like okay let's just just as an experiment let's just imagine like what could I personally have done to control this situation and, and led to a different outcome in the future and a lot of times maybe that isn't a, a reasonable thing to expect but even if nothing else I find like it kind of gets you out of that blame mode a little bit and be like oh actually you know I have more control than I think over my life and that's a really kind of empowering place to come from. This is too funny. I mean, I, I don't often talk about sport on this show because A, it's not a sports show and B, it's been a long time since I've played at least competitive sports. But this really makes me think of another connection to sports. And that's the idea that you always have that captain or in like the case of Remember the Titans, you have the co-captains that really are there to steer the ship and keep everyone else calm, cool and collective. And they're the type that will kind of swallow their own pride, remove ego and take the team on their shoulders by just deciding that they own the mistakes mm -hmm. and that when something goes wrong, they're looking at themselves to figure out how did I play a role in this and how can I make sure that this doesn't happen to the best of my ability, at least moving forward. You know, that sort of athlete, that teammate who's always like, my bad, my bad, that leadership type role. Yeah. And it actually reminds me of another tweet that I had recently. I suppose I've been on Twitter a bit in the last few days. Uh, the idea that good luck and bad luck do exist. I find that a lot of times people will debate, oh, there's no such thing as bad luck you just have to overcome or there's no such thing as good luck it was actually hard work that got you there there's no luck no excuses blah 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 Jim Collins the author has a great uh, definition of luck and I think he calls it something like the idea of something that is extreme that takes place outside of your control that could have a very large uh, disproportionate positive or negative impact on an outcome doesn't necessarily have to you can overcome good luck and bad luck but those events do exist. However, when it comes to the majority of things in life, I do agree with the majority of people that put that content out into the world that there's no luck, there's no good luck or bad luck, because I find that we might say it's bad luck or good luck. And then you take like one or two steps back in terms of our own decision making. And it comes down to oftentimes personal choices that just happened a while ago. And I know we could get really deep here because we could get into things with the Buddha and how many personal choices do we actually have our environment 
environment makes up what we think and what we think leads to what happens. But speaking of personal choices, when you were wrapping up college kind of towards the end and had worked your way through that audio engineering program, one thing that I know that people would like to go into a creative field might be worried about is the idea that there may not be work for them. How did you find the idea of setting out into the workplace, hoping to find work when it comes to this creative world of audio? I don't know that I had thought through that too much ahead of time. And I think I had always gone in kind of, I think the model is very much a freelance, you know, you are a freelance engineer producer in the audio world. And so I think I like had that in mind, but I, I also knew that that was not something that you just come out of school with a full roster of clients and you're off and running and, you know, making whatever, uh, however much money you need to survive. And the other thing is that like my program was just a one year program. And so there's not actually a lot of time from like starting to learn the basic skills. And then you're out a year later and it's like, okay, well, now what? And so I was able to get an internship through one of my instructors at school was a partner in uh, a pretty big studio in Vancouver. And so I was working there as an unpaid internship and I was there one or two days a week. And I was probably at that about a year from like three months left in school for another nine months after. And I kind of pretty quickly realized like there were opportunities to move up into getting some paid roles. Uh, It was still project based. Like it wasn't like you showed up, even if you were a paid engineer, it'd be like when this band is in town this week, you're going to be the assistant engineer on that project. You'd get paid this project fee or whatever. And so it wasn't like a full-time income that you could bank on. Really, everybody just had multiple projects going on at once. But it became clear to me that the interns who were moving up into those paid roles were there seven days a week and kind of how it works at studios are still kind of uh, old school in a probably not the best way where like as an intern, well, for one, you're unpaid, which I think is technically illegal, but most studios still operate that way. But there's just so many people are desperate to make it in the business that and there's so little money in it, too, that probably the studios couldn't actually operate if they were paying everyone. It's really interesting seeing the conundrum as a music lover and somebody who wants to make music and as a band and all of that. So like I've seen all sides of it and I'm like, yeah, that it sucks kind of for everyone involved in a way. Basically, as an intern, you're showing up there at eight or nine in the morning and you're there till whenever the session sessions end uh, probably after the sessions end of the day, which might be sometimes like three or four in the morning. And so I was doing that one day a week, which is exhausting. And there were people there seven days a week or six days a week and like living in their cars. I had to have a full time job to survive in Vancouver. So pretty quickly, I was just like, okay, this is not the way I'm going to make a living in the music industry or in audio. And I kind of just actually took a step back and stepped away from from music. I did a few freelance projects, but just worked more. I went back to like landscaping, construction, that kind of thing, and was working on my own music and did some projects here and there, but wasn't really going after it. In that time, I, I just felt like, okay, I, I I need to like, there's there's something else out there. This isn't quite it. I thought this was it. And this wasn't the thing. Like, I don't this, I don't want my life to be just working at a studio, like, <laughs> you know, whatever, 20 hours a day, the rest of my life. So I ended up just uh, at, at around that time, a friend from high school, actually, he sent me an email one day and was just like, you know, we've, we've always talked about traveling. And I had this crazy idea, just hear me out about how we, we can, you know, hit all these places we wanted to, to go see and more cycle tour. And immediately, I was like, oh, that's interesting. And so we ended up saving up for a year and a half and uh, took what ended up being a year off. And four months of that was doing a cycle tour through Europe. And then I had met a a girl right before we left on the trip. And so her and I went traveling the second half of the year then in in Southeast Asia. And it was at that point after coming back from that trip. And I was kind of like, okay, I want to do this more. And I didn't know that there was like online business existed yet. I didn't actually know about podcasts yet, but I started getting curious. And over the next few months, kind of discovered podcasts, discovered the world of online business and realized, oh, all these old skills that I had from audio engineering can be transitioned over here. But that actually took it. It was not something that was obvious to me at the time. 
which is fascinating in and of itself because you just touched on curiosity and that's something else that really interests me similar to how we talked about intuition you know can we develop curiosity how do we teach it how do we model it and it's definitely a learnable thing but what's the best most efficient quickest way to learn curiosity and the other thing that you touched on was the idea of these transferable skills i see a lot in education that we are worried about preparing someone with english specifically or math specifically and then the thing that gets lost i find is the real world where i just love to say okay let's just focus on going out into the real world and then building skills that are transferable across any different career path and so that when those specific pathways change these skills still exist and you can bring them with you to the next thing mm-hmm. and where this perhaps comes full circle is the idea of taking those transferable skills that you're maintaining but then staying curious and go looking for that next step that next thing as it relates to your work was the idea of that next thing and maybe being able to finally make money in that field was that specific to freelancing around music or what was the next step that sort of next way that you were staying curious some of the the like album recording stuff that was all freelance but it was it's just like not a good market because you know when you're not a great audio engineer or record producer like you're not getting great you know bands with big fan bases and lots of income and so everything's just like you can't make a living off of that so i've done a few freelance projects there but that just never felt like this is a viable type of career but when i transitioned into podcasting this was in 2015 i believe podcasting was like it well, it feels like it's really taking off now but it's always felt like it's taking off for as long as i've been in it And I think around 2015, 2016 was the first big spurt kind of. So there was just tons of people who were starting shows. There was just a lot of demand. And it actually, I was amazed at how easy it was. And especially contrasted to getting, you know, music projects where you have to like find these people and, you know, like they they don't have the budget. And so you just have to make all these compromises and they're long-term projects that go on for months and months. Whereas podcasting, it was reliable. People, you know, produce a show every single week. And so it's kind of just this retainer, almost membership style model. Very quickly, I think I got my first client, I went on uh, Upwork, which is an, an online kind of freelance marketplace. Within three days, I got my first client. And within six months, I was equaling and actually surpassing the income from my day job and was able to, to quit that. And so it's funny sometimes where when you land on the right thing or something that's going to work, it often works fast. Like, And there are things that take a long time to build. But I think especially with like a service-based business, usually if you're offering the right thing and you know who your customers are, it should be pretty quick, I think. And if it's not, either you have poor messaging, you are like going after the wrong people, you're not offering quite the right service. And so I think like for me, whenever people are asking about like, you know, starting an online business or something like that, I always say like, start with something where you can perform a service for someone else. You don't need an audience. You can just go out and find those people. You can, you know, network with one person with some, some types of service offerings. You might only need one or two clients a month or something like that. And you can make a living out of it. And so I think those are the places where it's easier to get started rather than like building up an audience of, you know, on YouTube or a podcast or a blog or something, which that is going to take years of work to build up. And, you know, there's a lot of benefits to putting in that work over time, but it's going to take a while to get there. Well, I can speak to that part. The fact that it will take a long time to build up an audience, yeah. <laughs> that's for sure. Uh, but it's definitely worth it sometimes. And I love the idea that Pat Flynn shares about starting with kind of what you want your actual lifestyle to be in the end. I mean, at the beginning, you're going to have to work maybe crazy hours. and You're going to have to do a lot of 
things that you don't necessarily want to be doing at the end of your goal. But I love the idea of asking, what do you want that goal lifestyle to be from the beginning, right? Because I feel like for some people, freelancing forever really Mm. does just fit right into that. But there may be some other things and starting with that initial filter of what do you want life to look like once you succeed, you know, two, five, 10, 15 years down the road. Um, And for me, that's why I love podcasting. I love any remote element for sure, because I would love to be able to do this if I wanted to take, you know, my wife and kids to Disney World, but still be able to cut an episode with someone if we wanted to. And so I think really asking what that person and again, that self-awareness concept, what they want is really super helpful. And it's also why I'm so bullish on the idea of entrepreneurship. I really feel that everybody should strive to be an entrepreneur, at least to some capacity. You know, you might have that desk job. It pays the bills. We need things to pay the bills. But I feel like everybody in today's day and age should have a side hustle to some extent because of the other things in life that it benefits, not because it's going to be this massive money making event per se. It might be. And that's kind of the point. I love to teach it for anyone listening. If you don't have a side hustle, I suggest you get one even small. It could be making t-shirts on a cricket machine and selling the odd one here or there. But the idea that you're doing something that could exist on a continuum from I am monetizing this for 0% of my revenue all the way up to a potential 100% of your life and revenue. But the point is you own it. It's very much connected to your passion. So I think it's so important that we look at lifestyle and kind of what are those big goals, but also recognize that success when it comes to achieving these goals is always appearing exponential, right? Like even if you're, let's say something like an athlete like LeBron James, all of a sudden people see you and think you're this superstar, but they're missing all of the work that led up to that. And I see that's the same in business, right? Somebody has a multi-million dollar launch on their course and everyone's like, oh my God, I want to do that. And it's like, well, you missed watching them build their email list for the last 11 years. And so this idea that the full dream pie in the sky creative, I think is definitely possible for anybody. But the the point is it might take a long time. And so in that pursuit, you know, I've been working on this podcast, for example, for a couple of years in that pursuit, you do need to be paying the bills as well, or get into something that's directly monetizable. You could even start monetizing next week if you get into something like that freelance work and build up from there. But it's all about those personal choices. I feel like I could go on about this for days. I mean, it's been a lot of my life's work for the last 10 plus years. I'm curious, though, for those people who are listening, you know, they're sick of their nine to five, or maybe they haven't even left high school yet. And they're like, yeah, you know what, I do want to own something. Or maybe they love their job and they still want that little side hustle. They want to be an entrepreneur to some capacity, but don't know where to start. What direction might you point them in? I think everything you said is, is spot on. And, and I actually, yeah, I've written a, a couple articles or I, I referenced this idea of compounding returns, which is essentially the same thing as, you know, an exponential growth curve where, yeah, you, you do it for a while and you're looking at this curve on the graph. And of course, with the past couple of years of COVID, we've all become familiar with what exponential growth curves look like. It looks out really small. And then, you know, over time, there's this huge, big kind of hockey stick growth there, but it might take you, you know, three years to get to that point. And it's easy to look at that and be like, well, how can I just get to that that hockey stick point? How can I skip all these mistakes? And I think that's one of the things that I understand why. And I probably like anyone who teaches anything like that's one of their goals, like an honest goal is to help people avoid the mistakes. And yet there's also just this element of like, you can't just skip it all. Like you just have to embody the mistakes as well. Like you can know better and then you're still going to make the mistake. And then you're like, oh, that's why they said that. And now I get that. And now I'm going to not do that, that the next time. And so there's often like months or years of just this figuring it out. And then all of a sudden, like the thing just start coming into place 
And all of a sudden, just growth starts accelerating. The thing is, you can't get there without doing all that stuff before. One of the things that I always think about with entrepreneurship or, or starting or growing anything is like expectation management. And so I think it's way healthier to think like, this is going to take me five years to do this. That's a long time. But if I'm thinking about the next 50 years of my life, five years is actually not that big an investment to have a kick-ass life that I really love the rest of the time and be doing something that actually fulfills me. And so one of the things is we're always looking for the shortcuts. And the problem is that when you jump from shortcut to shortcut to shortcut and you're expecting a payoff in one month or three months or six months, you're not just you're just not putting the time in to get the result that you're going to need. Like you need to invest those years of time. At the same time, I think there's also something to be said for trying a lot of things at the start and just finding out like, what do I actually like doing? What type of business do I want to do? What do I want my days to look like? What energy or what activities give me energy? What drain my energy? Because everybody's going to be different there. And some things that like that I just love doing other people, it's going to be the worst thing for them. And they like are going to procrastinate on that and they're not going to want to do it. And neither of us is right. It's just that we're different. And so it's kind of looking at, you know, what are what are the things? What are the building blocks of the life I want to live? And how can I start trying those things out, experimenting with them, finding the things that don't work? And that's actually a positive as well. One of the things it's like, it's nice when you hit on something that works. It's equally as nice when you hit on something that doesn't work so that, you know, like, okay, this isn't for me and I don't need to think about that anymore. And so that's usually where when I'm kind of coaching someone, it's like less um, concrete of like, do these exact things other than just start trying things and experimenting and doing them in public and like meeting people. That's where you're going to you're going to get so much more clarity in doing that than listening to 100 hours of podcasts, which I have certainly done way more than that or a thousand hours. That's all helpful, too. But none of that really matters until you start doing it and kind of embodying that. I, I think I heard a quote just the other day of like it's from a tribe in uh, Papua New Guinea, I think. And it's something that about knowledge is just a rumor until it lives in the muscle or something like that. And I thought, ah, oh, that is spot on. You think you know these things, but until you've actually put it into work and embodied that, it doesn't really count almost. Well, for sure. And I, I love this concept. It's the reason why I have my handle at Just Tries, even mm. though people will ask me, you know, is that your name? I'm like, well, it's part of my name. But the whole reason why I put Tries there and I just want it to be right in front of people's face in terms of what I believe in, the idea that we may want to be a poet or a painter or an athlete, an actor, a teacher, a police officer. It really doesn't matter what the thing is. The point is until we go and try it, until we get in the actual arena, so to speak, and try the thing, then we won't intrinsically know what it's all about. And if we actually love doing it, you know, because then that's where you use that intuition, you go with your gut and you decide if it's what you want to do. Um, I don't know how you would do that without trying the thing. And I think that's something that seems so simple and so silly, but it's just super underrated and really important. Of course, you can learn a bit from YouTube, reading somebody's blog post, asking somebody, you know, the whole guest speaker, really the concept behind this interview show. But you don't truly know until you actually try it. And I often tell people that, you know, I'm more than halfway through my adult career as an educator, and yet I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up, so to speak. Yeah. And you mentioned there, like, do I want to be a poet? Do I want to be a teacher? Do I want to be, you know, all these other things. And I think that that's one of the ways where our, I mean, our education system, but also just our society kind of sells us short. And I think this is very rapidly changing in the way that the internet is going recently. But one of the things that I've realized is like, you can be all of these things and you can make this unique career that takes all these things that shouldn't really go together. Like it's not just one career. And it's going back to that thing of like, okay, if you're good at math, like you should be an engineer. Looking back on that, I'm like, that is so limiting. I think most of us have many interests. And the thing that is going to light us up the most is where those interests kind of intersect and come together. And it's also going to be the most unique thing. So I think a lot of times we look at what's everyone else 
done before. And that may be a good way of, you know, assessing something, especially in like when you're first getting started, like, is there viability and that can I make a living off of this? But I think there's a further step to take, which is stepping beyond that and doing something that nobody has done before that I, I like to write poetry as well. And I don't do it very regularly. But one of the things I've started noticing is that in writing sales pages and in writing my newsletters and in writing blog posts and writing all the stuff, this sensibility of having written poetry finds its way into everything and makes that writing unique. And it's not poetry per se, but there's a different use of words and it, it, there's a different feel to it. And so all of these things that you're interested in can kind of come together in a really unique way, but you're not going to find that out there by just looking at a list of careers. And so I think that that's where there's some courage involved in starting to you know really run those experiments because it's not going to come out looking that polished and that great. But over time, keep doing this and something interesting may come out of that. Yeah, that's huge. I just grabbed this composition book, which is essentially filled with hip hop lyrics and some poetry. Uh, it's just the way that I like to write when I have short creative bursts is to think of a theme or an idea and put pen to paper as if it, if it were to be on a beat, you know, how would it sound? But it's essentially poetry. And so I think I've shared zero poetry with the exception of At My Brother's Funeral and recorded zero hip hop songs. And I don't know that I ever will. But again, it's that idea that this writing can be helpful in other ways. And I, I do see it kind of leaking into podcasts or blog posts or newsletters, conversations that I carry on. Uh, but it's also something I just like mm -hmm. to do when I need that creative outlet as well. Uh, you mentioned courage, and this is interesting because we're hitting on all the buzzwords, not planned or scripted at all, uh, <laughs> intuition, curiosity, transferable skills, and now courage. I'm interested, just straight to the point, can courage be learned? Can it be taught? And uh, if so, if you're trying to help somebody be more courageous, you know, in your personal life or somebody that you're mentoring, where do you even begin? Yeah. So I, I think courage can be, I, I think there's a lot of like mindset stuff around this. And again, it just goes to expectation management. I know one of the things from the Tim Ferriss show that was kind of transformational for me was his question of like, if I do this and it fails, what's the actual worst case scenario here? For me, realizing like when I quit my job to go traveling, to start working for myself, I thought, okay, the worst case scenario is I move back in with my parents until and I get another job. And I'm like, well, that's not that bad. Like that is certainly worth the risk of doing this. So I think that keeping that in mind, asking that question helps with courage because you realize like, oh, it's not actually as big a risk as it, I'm making it out to be in my mind. The stakes aren't really that high. And especially when you're starting something new, the stakes are never that high because you probably don't have that much to lose. This may be different if you have a family to support. And you know, there are certainly other circumstances that I didn't have when I first started my business. But there are many people who have started with all those same things who found a way to make it work as well. And so I think looking at that and finding examples of that, both for inspiration and motivation, but also for practical, you know, kind of lessons on what they did and how they negotiated that courage and confidence and competence kind of cross over together. I think you have confidence when you are confident uh, or when you have you have confidence when you have competence. And so you you have trust in your skills that you're able to do something. So I think skill building is certainly a part of this. But then I think confidence grows and actually begins to follow kind of a similar compounding kind of uh, effect where when you just start taking really small risks and this is like a really silly example and it's kind of like this childish thing that I always find myself doing but I guess I'm a guy and I think a lot of guys have this like sports idea I'll be like out walking and I'll pick up like a stone or something and then I just like amuse myself like throwing it up super high and just like trying to catch it or like how many guys that you've been on a road trip and you pull out over and you're just like throwing you know rocks at a can or something and there's something I realized this the other day as I was doing this I was like this is so silly why do I do this why do I get like a legitimate thrill 
thrill when I like throw it up super high and maybe it's like over these tree branches and it wheedles its way down and it maybe takes a deflection and I still grab it and I like can imagine I'm like playing in the Super Bowl and I realize like this is a confidence building activity. It's like making a toss and being able to make the catch despite what happens like after it leaves my hand. I have no control over that between that and the catch. And I was like, God, that's really interesting. This is a tiny little thing that proves like I am competent. I can make a toss while I'm walking, judge where it's going to go and make the catch. And sometimes I'll like, you know, try without looking at it or stuff like that. And so I think like this is a such a silly little example, but there's all these little things you can do to start building up your your sense of competence and your sense of confidence. This is probably a bad example for like doing anything, you know, useful or meaningful unless I want to, you know, do something that involves those skills in in the world. I'm not going to become a professional athlete anytime soon, but looking at, okay, what's the smallest little viable thing I can do that is going to, that I can succeed at, and maybe it won't be the first time, but that I can start seeing like, okay, I can better on myself and I can meet that bet. I can succeed. And you start doing that again and again and again and again and again. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, I can actually do quite a bit. And I actually trust myself to maybe aim a little bit higher next time and like throw the ball a little bit further. A lot of times when we don't have confidence, it's because we aim too high, too fast. We have a big failure and there's a lot we can learn from that. But a lot of times we never come back from that big failure because we just imagine like I'm a failure, which, the, you know, these are just two separate things, the failure itself and you as a person. And I've certainly been through that and I had a big product that I created that ended up losing a whole lot of money. And I thought it was the best thing ever beforehand. And it just didn't sell as well as I thought. And I didn't put anything out into the world for two years after that and just like was really gun shy. And then the next thing I put out, I did it kind of the right way, which was like doing a lot of audience research beforehand and actually making something that I knew people wanted. And it was successful. And I was like, oh, this is what it's supposed to feel like. And this is how you're supposed to do it. Since that happened, it's just like the feeling of confidence and competence. I have more kind of courage in bringing new things into the world after that. But I think you need to like start getting some micro successes first to kind of get the, the snowball rolling. I love the idea of getting the ball rolling and I appreciate the snowball idea, but I hate the cold and it's coming here where I'm from. So try not to think about that. But speaking of other types of balls, uh, you were mentioning catching and that's something that's really interesting and stood out to me as well, because uh, when I was in university, I actually wrote a paper specifically to help teachers and educators, gym teachers, uh, help their students with developmental coordination disorder, learn how to catch better. Paper took me over a year to write the one paper itself was actually for an entire credit and could have been published if I wanted it to be. But uh, one thing I've been doing with our daughter is a lot of catching. And one thing we do at night, just because she loves it, is she tries to create a streak of how many times she can bounce her ball off the wall and then catch it and see how many she can go in a row without dropping. And so she's all the way up to 28 and she almost won't even go to bed unless Mm. she gets 29. It's getting a little up there, so we might have to kind of cut it off sometimes, but she wants to beat her record from the day before. And I think it's safe to say that this petite female may not play receiver in the NFL someday. However, it has nothing to do with catching. And I think that's a really interesting thing. I mean, I can tell that it's fun just because she's having fun doing it. And so there's that element to it. But I never really thought about this until you brought it up. The idea of confidence building through catching and transferring that confidence into other parts of your life. And it actually makes me think of uh, like musicians, you know, I, I don't know, like Miley Cyrus 
or Billie Eilish or uh, maybe Justin Timberlake, like musicians who are good singers, yet they can just go hop on Saturday Night Live and do sketch comedy really effectively when they're not really trained actors, but they just come across with confidence and capability because that's not their main thing. They're already confident from something else and they're bringing that confidence uh, and maybe willingness to like look silly or not really succeed or something like that too. But either way, they're, they're bringing a certain level of confidence that maybe others couldn't bring mm-hmm. if they weren't confident in another skill already. Did you find because you had the skills, you know, in the world of music and kind of audio in general that bringing that confidence over to the world of podcasting was pretty seamless for you too? For me, there was a leap between, I always thought, it took me a long time actually after I discovered online business to put two and two together and say, oh, I could produce podcasts. Because I was in this mentality of being an audio engineer requires a studio, which is a physical thing. It needs all the gear and like all all this stuff that I was like, there's no way, it's not a remote skill. And then only later was I like, of course it is. Like you just have to think outside the box a little bit. And it's hard to just, you know, say, just think outside the box and then do it. But I think that it's a similar thing to a lot of skills you have, or we all have, where if you are able to develop like a sense of mastery your competence in one area. If you think about it more abstractly, you realize, oh, this is just a similar kind of thing here. And I actually had an experience with this recently where I haven't done a ton of public speaking, but I've done a lot of podcast interviews. I present a course. And so I I facilitate workshops that are live and things like this. And I've done a few talks here and there, but one of my best friends got married back in August and uh, I was in the wedding party and gave a short speech. It was like a two minute speech or something like that. Going into it, I used to be terrified of speaking. That was one of my like biggest fears. And I, I never fainted. In, in school, but I almost did many times. And I remember there was a girl in, I don't know what grade, like seventh grade, who was ahead of me and she passed out. And I was just like, oh man, I'm next. And that's going to be me right there on the floor beside her. So it's interesting. We're going in this um, kind of wedding speech now, after having done all this presenting and workshops and presenting content, understanding storytelling, I was like really excited about it because I was like, oh, I get to craft this whole little story here. And I know where this, which strings to pull, where to like bring emotion in, how to make it funny in the right places. And I was like so excited excited about it because while it was something different, it was a completely different audience than I was used to. I developed mastery in a form of presentation that this was just another way to kind of use that. Yeah. And that's another part of the Just Tries concept for me too, is the idea that I want to demonstrate to people that you have to really put yourself out there, take action as much as possible, go full speed, create, get through your first hundred or thousand episodes of whatever the heck you're making and just keep going. And I don't know that I'll do music specifically one day, but the idea of learning music is a really interesting thing because I have had lots of friends over the years who that's something that they've wanted to pursue. And, you know, even to the point where sometimes if I'm mentoring someone and you know, oh, kind of what's the goal you're working on? Oh, I want to be a musician. And it's like, well, how much music have you put out? Uh, I'm working on something. Okay, so you've put nothing out. And how many concerts have you done? How many shows? Uh, I haven't done any yet. And it's like, okay, if I personally were trying to succeed in that world, I would be doing something radical. Like how can I put out a song every day for 90 days? Or how could I do a concert twice a week for six months or something like that, just to really get the progress and the momentum going? I remember uh, a quote from from someone on Twitter, and I've been through there. It was a writing course. And so the writing course was uh, called Ship 30 for 30. I don't know if you've come across this, but it's essentially a 30-day writing challenge. And you write one, they call it an atomic essay. And so it's 300 words or less every day for 30 days. And one of their kind of foundational kind of pillars behind this program is that you can't do 100 crappy drafts of anything. Of course, like maybe, maybe they're still not going to be great by the time you get to 100. The first number are certainly going to be probably pretty terrible, but it's like about getting those first 100 reps 
reps in. And that's like when you're going to actually start to find your voice. You're going to start to get the technical level. Things are going to come come together, but you can't get there if, if you just keep studying and reading and listening. You have to actually do the thing and publish, you know, whatever it is, whether it's songs or whether it's blog posts or podcasts or YouTube videos, get to 100, set the, the first 100, be like, these are probably going to suck. I don't really care what happens about these 100. These 100 are just about developing the skills and learning what will work so that the next 100, then I can go in and I can actually like do something interesting with these. Yeah. And there's no better famous example than Ed Sheeran. And I just actually mm-hmm. shared that on a recent episode. He carries around a clip of him singing from his early days so that when people say, oh, you're such a natural talent or you're so great at singing, he can show people, well, no, I wasn't. I just had to get through my first hundred songs of crap first, clean out the pipes, and then you start flowing clean water that can mm-hmm. be the better stuff. And that's the whole idea of creating our art. So I think that's the most famous example and you know I hearing the audio clip if you go and listen it sounds as bad as if you like hated the sound of your own voice or your sibling's voice or maybe the sound of your husband or wife driving in the car singing their favorite song like you know it's just it does not sound like a professional right. and yet he became Ed Sheeran and those real world growth mindset examples I mean we just cannot have enough of those and so I love sharing them and uh, if anyone has any more please do share because I so often go back to that Ed Sheeran one I mean I don't think there is anything better but it's it's pretty cool to see growth mindset in the real world. Uh, now, I'm sure we will tackle some podcasting down the stretch as we close out this episode. But just before we move too far away, when it comes to the pragmatic tips of somebody looking to start an online business, is there anything that we might have left out or forgot that you'd like to mention as it relates to maybe building a, a business model or how to market an online business specifically? It goes back to this idea of logic versus intuition almost. I got really lucky that my business, the business I ended up starting, the podcast editing uh, agency, is a subscription model. I can have many clients. I don't need to find a new client every month once the project wraps up. So there's not that, like a lot of freelancers have that pressure. It's just constantly the grind of finding clients, then being so busy with work, and then you've got no clients and it's really stressful. And so mine has been a lot more stable. So, I mean, if you can build a kind of like subscription business like that, that's great. And that's like, you know, a, a good business practice. And if you can have multiple clients that if one leaves, you're not just all of a sudden out of work. That's great. But I didn't do any of this intentionally. It was kind of looking for the the first small opportunity to get to the next step forward. And for me, that was I want to be able to travel full time. How can I do that? And oh, okay, I can edit podcasts for people. And I can do this for a bunch of people. This just happens to be how the industry works. The timing was great on, you know, the industry itself was taking off tons of luck that I stumbled into. But I happened to be prepared by already had been studying online business for, you know, about a year before that I already had all the audio skills. And it was just applying those things to uh, finding the overlap with them of something that I was interested in enough in to do. And I have never loved that business. Like that's never been all I want to do. There's always been more like I wanted to teach and create stuff myself. And so sometimes I think it's worth just getting that first, the first business, the first gig, whatever it is that is not going to be the be all end all. It's just something to get you started because you're going to learn a lot doing that. And you're going to learn a lot more about yourself and what you like and what you don't like. And so I think like looking for these best practices and businesses in terms of types of business models and all this stuff, but also paying attention to like, is this something that I want to do now? Is this something I want to do long term? If neither of those, like maybe I should just avoid it and find something that maybe it's technically harder work, but it's actually work I enjoy more. So maybe that's the better fit for me. That goes back to that self-awareness and kind of being like, if this is going to be, you know, work is so much a part of our lives. If I'm going to be doing it, I want to enjoy it at least, you know, somewhat, even if that's a kind of intermediary thing before moving on to the next one, you can kind of go overboard trying to just plan everything out and doing the perfect business model and the perfect audience, all the perfect marketing plan 
plan. And it can be something that doesn't really work for you. Like it works for someone else or maybe many people even, maybe even most people. But if it doesn't work for you, it's not really worth that much. Yeah, the, developing that self-awareness and, and really paying attention to that is important. For me, by far and away, this show is really worth it. Uh, I'll never stop doing it for the rest of my life, I'm sure. But it is one of the biggest challenges of this show is that the whole idea is to bring experts such as yourself, and then I can sort of be the conduit to people who may want to learn those topics, and we can help break them down for them to help learn. And whether it's for the sake of learning or because they want to actually do these skills. Uh, but one thing that, of course, is a fact is that everybody's goals are a bit different. And if we were to try and coach somebody, helping them one-on-one -on -one would make the world of difference because you can kind of drill down, go through the flow chart and figure everything mm -hmm. out specific to them. Now, I realize that that's like the, the big challenge is that, again, it's going to go back to that individual having to reflect and mm -hmm. think on that. So I definitely appreciate that. Uh, something that stood out to me, too, is that you've talked a fair bit about writing, you know, the blog, the newsletter, some poetry. Uh, are those essentially the three areas that you're doing writing? And and why do you feel that the, the writing is such an important thing that's come up in this episode? Yeah. So really like the thing I do that I'm most excited about, it doesn't directly bring in any income right now, but is my newsletter. And so I write a weekly newsletter called Creative Wayfinding, which is kind of like just exploring all the things that I'm curious about. And it's in the context of doing creative work. I have a really hard time. I've been doing it almost two years and I still don't quite know how to concisely sum up what it is. But essentially it's like how to find your way as a creator when you might not know where you're going and you know there's no map to getting there. And we all are on our own journey. And so it, it comes back to a lot of the stuff I've been talking about is the self-awareness about like being able to recognize the signs that you're onto something or that you should be doing something else or you know when something's working when you should quit all these types of things uh and and how do we actually make sense of that for ourselves when there's no obvious answer and so really for me it's whatever i need to hear that week that's what i'm writing and so that's really where in in doing this i've done a, a lot of writing over the past two years i started writing and publishing every day at the start of 2020 and i did that for about eight months or something like that and i've done a couple other sprints in there where i've done like daily publishing but i've been doing this this weekly newsletter uh, as well for um, yeah, a year and a half or so, maybe a year and three quarters. And in all that writing, you hear a lot of people who, who write regularly talk about this, but it just clarifies your thinking. You actually know what you think because you've written it down. Even if it's like a hundred word blog post on something that you don't really care about, you'll never write about again. It's just like, oh, I know what I think about this now. And I'm sure I have thousands of ideas per year about things to write about. And I write about, you know, 50 or a hundred of them or something like that. But a lot of times it's just this little sentence or a phrase or something that just seems curious to me. I'm like, oh, that's, that's interesting. I should I should write about that. And, you know, I don't know what's going to come out of it. Sometimes it's this little short blog post that I'll publish and be done with. Sometimes it's just a tweet or sometimes it's a 2000 word blog post or, or more or a newsletter article that goes out. And one of the things, speaking of confidence, I know like I've done a lot of writing specifically around podcasting. Once I wrote it down, I just had so much more confidence in dealing. Anytime I was on a consulting call with a client, I knew that any question they were going to ask me, I'd already written about. Now I knew how to articulate it well. Thinking is different from writing. Thinking is often unfiltered and, you know, we kind of know what we think to some extent, but it's not structured in the same way as when you commit it to paper, you can kind of almost offload it from your brain. And it's just like, oh, I can just go pull that off the, the filing cabinet now when I need it. I know exactly how to talk through this so that somebody actually understands what I'm trying to say. And so I write every day. I, I publish at least, you know, one 
one newsletter a week, if not additional blog posts. And I write on Twitter as well in, in smaller chunks. But for me, that's been the, the kind of catalyst to just all kinds of positive benefits. And like I, I have a podcast marketing course, which basically I wrote that all out as blog posts first. And then it was really easy to create after the fact. For me, I think writing is one of those skills that is even if you you think you hate writing, I think there's a version of it that most people would enjoy. And maybe that's like writing tweets or something like that or writing, you know, hip hop lyrics or whatever it is or poetry or blog posts. Like there are so many ways that writing finds its way into everything that we do. Even like with podcasting, like well, a lot of the best podcast hosts, they are writers as well. And they're able to structure interviews or narratives or whatever it is because it's easier to do that through writing. And so for me, like I, I don't think everybody has to do it, but I think it's a helpful exercise to do it for, you know, at least somewhat regularly and start getting your thoughts out into a more kind of concrete form where you can actually look at them and be like, oh, okay, this is what I think. And here are actually the holes in it. And here's how it links into all these other things. One of the things for me as well is it's offloaded all these different ideas and I can kind of look at them objectively and say like, oh, here are the themes that are running through this. And so when I'm feeling confused about, yeah, what, what do I want to be doing? What, where, what do I keep writing about? What's on my mind? What keeps coming up again and again and again? And I can see this here. There's all these blog posts I've written that all have to do with the same thing. Clearly, I'm interested in that, even if I'm not recognizing it kind of at the front of my brain. Well, then I have to ask with this concept, uh, are you a big Seth Godin fan? Yes, uh, huge. He's my, I'm, yeah, I'm a fanboy for sure. <laughs> Well, when you mentioned the idea of shipping your work and 30 for 30, I mm. figured that maybe some of that was coming from Seth Godin. I mean, I'm a huge fan too, whether it's the style of podcast he has with Akimbo or how he's written his books and blog posts over the years. I actually myself did model a blog for a year. I maintained it every single day, posting in a similar short paragraph, right to the point style like he does. But it can be tough in today's day and age to share creative work because you have messages that you want to share with the world. And if it helps someone, awesome. And if it doesn't, that's fine too. Especially when we get into these algorithms of people trying to teach us how to monetize businesses or create blogs around certain keywords because it'll lead to more money as opposed to just sharing because you have an important thing to ship. I mean, there's no better role model than Seth Godin as far as I'm concerned when it comes to that stuff. And in my experience too, by doing that writing, like you were mentioning, you end up coming coming up with so many different concepts, like by writing once a day, all of a sudden you come up with 20, 25 ideas of what you could write. And you have to kind of pick what you want to focus on because you're not going to be able to put out 25 mini blog posts a day. The other way that this kind of connects to something else that we've been talking about is the idea of not necessarily liking English in school, like you had mentioned as a subject. And I see that all the time with youth too. And if anyone's listening and they think they don't like reading or writing, I would just like to say that you haven't found your style or your medium yet, right? Because when I hear parents or teachers say that, I'm like, well, almost every single time there is something, some element of reading that they would really appreciate and go deeper into, which can then be that gateway step towards other types of reading. And certainly when it comes to writing too, I think it's very underrated. I think we put a lot of emphasis on reading and we should be putting as much or more on writing because there's so many tools and ways that you can even use audio to text to to write now ways that you once you find your way your style to write like for example just tweeting right those micro posts yeah. can be a really valuable way of learning language 
Yeah. And I think it's just at the end of the day, almost all work requires communication of some sort and writing, being a good writer also makes you a better communicator. That just opens the door to so much. Like if, if you're in marketing or something like you can be more persuasive, you can articulate things better about why your product is a good fit for someone or why they should subscribe to your podcast or your YouTube channel or whatever it is. There's always this written bridge that needs to happen between whatever you're making and the people you want to relate it to. And and maybe that's you're, you're speaking to somebody one-on-one -on -one at a conference or something like that. But online, there's always a bit of writing that you need to do that well to get people to go listen to your song or your podcast or YouTube video or whatever it is. And so even in that respect, at some point you need to get passable at writing and communicating your thoughts in a compelling way. Yeah. So speaking of where you're trying to get people to go, of course, you have an online business yourself. What kind of uh, products or services? I guess you, you have the agency, you have courses you mentioned. Mm -hmm. I know that you do a lot of different things. If people were to want to learn more about your business and possible services that they could access, where are places? Places that people could go right now. Yeah, so the so the agency is still the the production agency is still kind of the main money maker, but I kind of came to the realization that that's not what I wanted to be doing long term. And so I, I built out this full annual plan of growing, hiring more team, going after bigger clients, adding more products and services, and then at the end of it realized, nope, that's actually not the direction I want to go. I want to do more writing, I want to do more creating, courses, stuff like that. So this coming year is going to be a big push to make the the education and the course and the creator side of the business the primary focus. And so my my main course podcast marketing academy is been going for two years now. I've done four cohorts of that. Now I'm excited to start being able to offer some um, more entry level kind of products related to podcasting and specifically podcast marketing. So I actually just rolled out this week a series of, of 12 uh, monthly workshops, each focusing on a different aspect of, of podcast marketing. And so those I think are going to be they're going to be like $40 each a lot more accessible, just an hour long session rather than a, a huge course, hopefully give people some momentum that every month there's something that they can learn and then put into action and then come back the next month and do the next one. So that's where I'm kind of like have been working from the top down, having this one huge high priced product that's kind of inaccessible to a lot of people and now filling in, building the ladder up to that with a lot of other offerings that still are, you know, on brand and, and are teaching people about better marketing, better creating uh, when it comes to podcasting, but in kind of different bite sized chunks and things like that. Yeah, I love all of that. I, I, one thing I'm really interested in recently in the world of online business, so to speak, is the idea of creating workshops yeah. uh, virtually. I suppose they could be in person too, but the idea of having a very niche topic, uh, maybe how to organize your Google Drive folders or how to come up with a title for your next blog post and it not needing to be too expensive, but you can scale it in terms of volume. You know, maybe a thousand people come to that two hour long workshop. Uh, I, I really am interested in that concept as a side note. Uh, speaking of business and building out different types of business, podcast is definitely your arguably biggest area of expertise. And so we mm -hmm. should probably get into that. The idea that if somebody were wanting to start their own show for the first time, they've been a listener, but haven't started a show and they want to get on that five to 10 year plan, like you said, to succeed in the world of podcasting, how do they get started? If they haven't created anything yet, I think create the first show, start creating a show, figure out how everything works together and don't have any expectation that that's going to be the thing that's going to be successful. Or if it is, the, the version that is going to be successful is going to be drastically different from the one that you start with. And I am a classic, want to plan out everything, you know, from before I start right till the end. And that's something that in the past year or two, I've really realized has been holding me back. And as a result, I've just been like, okay, I'm going to plan enough to get to the first five episodes published. And then we're going to see how it goes. And these are kind of like the pilot of the 
show. If I'm launching a new show, it's like, we're gonna do five episodes. We're gonna see how it lands with people. I might not even publish those episodes, but I'll create them, find, you know, 10 people whose opinions I trust who are in that target audience and say like, you know, would you subscribe to this? Should I be making more of this? Should I invest, you know, 10 hours a week in creating this? And if there is, you know, kind of mediocre feedback, it's like, okay, well, I reached out to these people because they are the people I want to <laughs> be speaking to and who I thought would like this. And if they're kind of like, oh yeah, it's it's good, but you know, whatever. Okay, well, maybe I got to look for the next idea. Whereas if they're like, you need to make this show, like I need to hear the rest of this, then it's like, okay, this is, I'm spot on and I can go ahead with that. And so that's where I kind of approach it now. But to get to that stage, there's so much to learn at the start. Like there's such a steep learning curve with all the audio, you know, gear. And it's not that difficult, but for a lot of people who don't have a background in that, that's going to take some figuring out for sure and figuring out how to produce a good sounding show. And then there's of course the whole learning curve behind creating compelling content, which again, you got to get those hundred reps in there. So, you know, just start doing it and go in without the expectation that you're going to be successful immediately. And so I, I think that that's the starting point. But then I think the other thing to just always like be doing this in the background is ask yourself, if you love podcasts, look at your 10 favorite shows that you listen to and start asking yourself, like, why does this work? It's rarely because, oh, it's just good interviews. Some people, maybe that's why it's good, but there's a lot more that what goes into a good interview. Like, what is it about the questions they ask that are interesting to you? Why this show versus the 10 other ones that are similar, but aren't as good. And maybe there's stuff about, you know, the access to the guests. And that's something that we don't really have that much control over. We can't all get Ed Sheeran on our shows, but you can look back at what they did earlier on before they were able to get that level of guest and kind of see like, oh, they've always had this thing that's been really good. And there are usually reasons that you can find if you just do a little bit of analysis, it takes more work, but that's the, the learning that I find is really valuable. I feel like the most valuable learnings I've had is when I've got curious and said like, why does this work for this person? And I don't know for sure any of the reasons, but I can make some guesses and I can see like, oh, well, they come across as this way and I really like that. And oh, they, they use this kind of language on their website and that's why I like it. That's why I subscribe because of these things. And you can kind of look at your own experience. You don't know that that's true for everyone, but you can kind of start to see all the stuff I subscribe to, whether it's newsletters or blog posts or YouTube channels, like there's all these things in common. And so maybe if I want to appeal to similar people, I should start looking at like, how do I incorporate some of this language or like, what are they doing that I can also uh, apply to my stuff? Once you start getting curious about that, you just start building up this mental library of like, this is why things work. These are like the building blocks of it doesn't matter like who the host is or who the guest is or what the topic is. It's there's these key pieces that need to come together. Of course, there's a lot of different pieces that you could put in and out depending on what you want to create, but you kind of develop this uh, this framework almost that you can kind of like, oh, I can just plug stuff into this now that I know how it works. The beauty is you can just figure that stuff out for yourself and you can make some guesses, some educated guesses and do some analysis. And I think that's where that is like a criminally underrated strategy for anyone looking to learn marketing or creative work is like doing your own research. And I, I don't know for sure, because obviously I did start a show and I'm figuring it out as I go. But I feel that maybe that is what holds a lot of people back. The idea of not wanting to put themselves out there, have that big failure and then have to wrestle with that debate within their own mind of like, oh, I guess podcasting is not for me after all. Yeah. And that being kind of crushing if it's something that they actually want to do. And I feel that the other thing that people battle is the idea that they upload a show and nobody lessons and they struggle with that idea of, well, how do I get more listeners tuning in, listening to my show? Sort of how do I scale it? I know for me, when it comes to the marketing, uh, I take my episodes, I try and chop them up across social media. I'll make blog posts or Twitter threads sometimes. Mm -hmm. But in terms of those sort of like steps to get marketing your podcast, like you talk about in your course, what are some tips that you would give people? 
This is another thing that is not talked about enough is differentiation. 10 years ago, I mean, even five years ago, and maybe even like three years ago, you could produce a pretty solid show and there just wasn't that competition in many, that much competition in many niches. And so you would just kind of grow organically and that just doesn't exist anymore. But a lot of people starting shows still think it works that way. And so I think that there's two things that come from that kind of conclusion. And the first is that probably in any niche, there are 10 shows that are all very similar, which kind of sucks, but is kind of also an advantage if you are willing to think, okay, how can I differentiate myself? Because if there's 10 shows that are all pretty much identical to the, the person who's passing by, all I need to do is create something that's not better, but just visibly different. That they see this and it stands out. There's like, oh, okay, these are all just the same. And then there's this one. Oh, that's, that's interesting. This one seems very different. And that's going to be in, you know, the framing of the show, the concept of the show, how you just build it from the ground up. There needs to be something that is unique about that and outwardly apparent. Apparently so, because before somebody's going to listen to the show, they need to click play on the first episode. And to do that, they need to kind of feel like this is going to be worth my time. And so standing out and then earning that trust of like coming across as professional enough and targeted enough to the person you're trying to reach that they're like, okay, this is made for me. And this is going to be a good bet that I'm not going to waste the next hour of my life. That's like without a differentiated show and a quality show that I think just kind of goes without saying, you're going to have to market really, really, really hard. And probably that's still not going to work in order to get listeners. Whereas if you have a adequately differentiated show that is is solid as well just everything else becomes so much easier and it just becomes a matter of communicating that and so i think that's where when you have that that's where marketing becomes easy and it becomes a lot more fun because then it's just about finding the people who are a good fit for your show your target audience and just hanging out with them and building relationships with them and so when i think about marketing it's it's just about how do i build relationships with people who would be into the thing that i'm into and so starting from that foundation then once you're at that stage and you're looking to find those people i mean there are so many ways to do this it's facebook group or LinkedIn groups or other podcasts that people are listening to. If, if that's one of the most valuable kind of pieces of information you can find out about your audience, what other shows do they listen to? And then if you can find those shows, you can say, make a, an educated pitch maybe to the host of that show and get on as a guest and get exposure to all these people who are also a good fit. It doesn't even, you don't even need to be a guest, but you can just do like collaborations with that person, whether that's on social media or, you know, email newsletters or, you know, swapping ads for your shows or anything like that. Usually it's like looking for who has the audience that I want and not looking at the person who has a million of those people looking for the person if you're starting at you have 10 listeners right now looking for someone who has 100 or you know 250 and you kind of work your way up the ladder and you kind of all grow together as you're going up uh, that way and I think when you think about marketing that way that's pretty approachable to me it really at every stage it's just about making relationships with people who you actually like hanging out with so probably the other creators in that space are all people you'd like hanging out with and like chatting with and so you'd probably just go for a beer with them anyway and so just like set that up over both of your podcasts do a swap kind of cross-pollinate your audience I, I don't think marketing needs to be a whole lot more complicated than that. And there are ways to, you know, go far beyond that. But I think as a starting point, just adopting that mindset of like, first, who are the people I want to reach? Where are they already hanging out? And how can I kind of, you know, hang out with them there uh, in that community or partner with the people who facilitate those communities to get in touch with them? And that's speaking in hip hop terms for sure, because that's a classic way to support each other or kind of reach back and pull someone else up the ladder by putting them on. And it's something mm -hmm. that actually came up in a recent episode with Brendan Kane that hasn't aired yet, but also in episode one with Buster Shear. And again, he was talking specific about hip hop in that case, saying, you know, that like you collab with another person who has a thousand followers and mm -hmm. then you ratchet it up to where you have 5,000 and then you're collabing with people who are at that level and you just continue to 
build it up until you've reached that point where I think he said, and then it's game over. And I, I really like that idea of continual collaborations, supporting each other, continuing to ratchet it up until whatever you deem that success. And I find actually for a lot of people, it's like you just keep going. I mean, Oprah and Eckhart Tolle can collab and uh, The Rock and Kevin Hart, you know, uh, but we just we just keep going. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. the reason why I wanted to ask that was you mentioned that if you don't have a show that's differentiated, then you're going to have to market extra hard. And I think that when people hear the term marketing, they often get that wire crossed with advertising and get a bit confused. Now, I have seen some podcast platforms like Spotify suggest that you run ads on there. Obviously, there's Facebook ads. There is a big piece of possibility in terms of advertising, but I'm not sure if it works for podcasts. And then typically the way that people build out shows is by creating social media content, but that can get super overwhelming. So what insight would you have into the idea of potentially running ads or how best to create as it relates to socials that is a good use of people's time when trying to scale their show? I have not seen too many people have a lot of success with ads. I think there it's more effective for really big shows where you can you have a budget to spend on really big shows. But for small shows, I would way rather just do approach it as collaborations because those are probably the shows you want to buy ads on anyways, if you're going to advertise on other podcasts, which I have seen be way more effective than Facebook ads or Instagram ads for podcasts. I, I've recently come across a couple people who've had some success with Facebook ads. So I'm kind of testing that out myself right now. But 95% of people who I know have run ads on Facebook for one, they don't really know what they're doing. So it maybe it's not surprising they don't get results. But yeah, number two, they just don't have that much success. And it's uh, a bit of a waste of money. So I would start with collaborations with social media. I think the big misconception about social media, almost every podcaster makes this mistake is they spend, you know, 95% of their posts are trying to get people back to their podcast. Hey, new episode, listen, you know, subscribe to my newsletter here, subscribe to the podcast here, another new episode out. And there is nothing generous about these posts. And so I've actually seen data just a couple weeks ago that they looked at the this was specifically in the content marketing space on Twitter. And they looked at here are the top 100 influencers on content marketing. And they looked at, okay, what are the the 90, the bottom 90 doing? And then how do some of these same stats compare to the top 10%? And it was really interesting in that the top 10% of influencers in this niche, which I imagine I'm almost certain that this would, you know, could be extrapolated to every other niche, they actually post requests or asks or links back to their content way fewer than they do just engage with other people's content. And so that I think is what I've seen work for social media for myself and for many of my students is that it's not about posting content all the time. You know, posting new content should be maybe 30% of the time you spend on social media. And that other 70% should be just engaging with people, joining the conversations that are already happening elsewhere. It's amazing because we think that that's a long, slow way to growth. But every single time I've done that, you make connections with, with people way faster and, and things just start working like often within a matter of days or weeks of committing to like, okay, every day I'm just going to spend 30 minutes finding other people's tweets or, or Instagram posts that I like and just starting conversations around those and engaging with people. And so often I've had, you know, big accounts with tens of thousands of followers DM me after like five days of just every day, you know, commenting on their tweets and be like, oh, hey, what are you up to? Looks like you're doing some interesting stuff. Maybe we should like hop on a call sometime. And I've just been like, oh, wow, I I thought this would take months to like get their attention. But people notice that. So I I think it's way more about like joining the conversation that's already going on on social media rather than just putting out new content, because the only people who are going to get that content are people who are already following you. And to get more people following you, you got to kind of tap into these other conversations that are happening that are in a, a bigger pool. 
<laughs> I mean, I love that. And this is one of those episodes where we'll have to run it back again in the future. I say yeah. <laughs> that a lot. I know any regular listeners probably like you say that to every single guest, but I'm always just super appreciative of the people that I have an opportunity to interview. And uh, maybe we could do a three hour episode in the future a la Joe Rogan, but I won't do that to you here tonight. It's just that there's so much more depth that we could go into in terms of these different topics. And as we move on towards wrapping here, I do have one last podcast specific question though, and that's about changing up styles of your episodes. And this is a bit of a selfish question because just recently I started putting out more prescripted uh, solo episodes that get right to the point in those five to 10 minute quick hitting shows. And the feedback is that some people love them, but of course, some people love just the interviews. And so I'm really curious, what are your thoughts for someone in my shoes around, should you create just a separate show or keep making, mixing it up? No, I actually like switching it up every so often. I think there's like something to be said about being intentional about it and setting expectations with your audience. This is one of the things with any type of content. A lot of times we're worried about making a change, but I think as long as you communicate the change, that's fine. And so saying like, hey, I'm experimenting with something new. I'm going to try, you know, I've got some requests to do an episode like this. So I'm going to try it out. And I'd love for you to let me know what you think. If you dig it, I'll do more of these in the future. A lot of our clients, they'll either do two shows a week where maybe they'll do one interview on Monday and a solo episode on Friday, or they'll just alternate all the time and do every other week is an inter interview. And then the other weeks are solo. You can get into more strategy around even other types of episodes. And so, and how they kind of factor into everything that you're wanting to be doing. So a lot of times, if you have like a product launch or something coming up, then I would suggest getting some like what I call testimonial interviews in there, which are past students or customers or clients or whatever they are. And those should still be like actually valuable episodes. They're not just a big ad, but they allow your the rest of your listeners to be able to see like, oh, here's someone like me who went through this process and actually applied it all. And here's what they got out of it. And they can kind of hear from someone who's they can really relate to about, you know, all of the same things that they're feeling right now. And now that person's on the other side. And so that's a different style of interview than maybe a normal expert interview. And then you've got solo episodes and there's a, there's a bunch of other types of episodes that I think kind of can play a role in any show, even if it's more kind of just every now and then, like maybe once a quarter or something like that, you throw in a special type of episode. I I've seen a lot of our client shows who've done that. And often it's those rare quarterly shows or something like that, that are, are completely unique from the rest that are the biggest hits with the audience, but maybe they take more time to produce or something like that. So they're just not sustainable to do every week. Right. It stands out. And it's almost the opposite for me in that a lot of times I'll post something on social media, you know, a 30 second clip on my favorite book mm. or uh, 60 second tips on achieving your big dreams or something like that. And people want to hear a little more in depth yeah. about what that topic is. And uh, I love the idea that you mentioned about mixing up the styles, the the quarterlies, the themes. I think yeah. someone who's uh, definitely a role model to me is Pat Flynn. And he's someone who, from what I see, has has really done a good job of mixing those different themes up throughout the years now that I think about it. I would just say on that, one of the things I usually recommend if you're thinking about that is just start doing bonus episodes every so often in a new format. And so it's like you do your regular Tuesday show or whatever. And then on Thursday, say like, oh, a bonus episode, trying something out. And it, the expectation is not that you're now doing that every time. And it, it hasn't taken the place of the thing people already like. It's just like a, an extra thing for people who are interested. 
Yeah, that makes complete sense to me. And something else that I do to bring some clarity is that in the actual podcast player apps, I change the image so that the interview shows like this one will have a picture of you with a bright pink background and the episode number and your name. Whereas for the solo episodes, it's just like a matte white background with some kind of bitmoji cartoon of myself to to symbolize that that's a solo episode. And so I think visually that probably helps people if they're searching through the apps and they do have a preference between the show type. At least that's the idea. Uh, I know this has been a long episode. Super grateful. I'm sure it's... I can't imagine it's not really valuable for people, especially if they're interested in online business or podcasting. But I do want to just ask, like, is there anything that you think we maybe left out or anything before we move on to the final theme questions and wrap this one up? There's probably a lot I could talk for, for about podcasting probably for three days straight or more. But uh, I think we've covered the the main things. I think, yeah, for me, it's like getting down to that ground level differentiation. What makes your show unique and not better than the other shows out there, but just different for a different audience presented it in, in a different way. And then really looking at marketing from that kind of relationship building and connection st- uh, point of view, which I think makes it way less intimidating. It's not it's not icky at all. It's actually something that's additive and generative for everyone involved. You know, so many of the people who I like quote unquote market to have become good friends and we've had, you know, amazing connections. And I think that's, those are the people you want. And so you, if those are the people you want, treat them like they're going to become that uh, yeah, type of like friend and, and connection one day, right from the start. I absolutely love that. The idea that community, generosity, and communication right from the get will lead to success down the road sounds incredible to me. Maybe that's an incredible piece of advice in and of itself, but the first theme question is, if you could choose one piece of advice to leave behind for the next generation, what would that be? I, you know, I think I would have to go back to the writing and I think it's not even just for becoming a better writer, but it's for idea generation. It sounds like you've had this, you mentioned it before having, you start coming up with 20 ideas a day on day one, when you start writing every day, you commit to that, you have zero ideas and you're scrambling. Probably the first 10 days are like that, but you keep at it and you do it for 15 or 20 or 30 days. And all of a sudden you have way more ideas than you possibly know what to do with. And that's, I think where things start to get fun. You, you quickly reach a point where you're like, I will never be able to do all of these. So I have to be really selective with the ones I do. I might have like thousands of ideas a year and I write about 50 or 100 of them. And then, you know, going in, you're like, oh, this is something I'm excited about. I feel good about it. I think other people are going to like this. And I think that's where we're just all creative work starts to get really fun because when you have too many ideas to act on all of them, that you can be really selective about the ones that you do work on. For sure. And it makes me think of all the books that I want to read. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Similar concept there. I know that I'm not getting through all of these in my lifetime, so I should probably be a little more selective in terms of what I'm reading. Uh, something that you yourself are learning right now that may even be off topic from all this stuff. Ah, I mean, I I feel like everything that we've talked about here, I feel like all the stuff I write about and think about is not stuff I ever know. It's like stuff that I'm exploring. And I I guess actually, you know, I'll get more specific with that. This year, I I have just I did one uh, annual kind of reflection workshop last year I was a, a participant of. And one of the things I realized has been a theme through this past year has been leaning more into myself. And I kind of touched on this before. And I feel like there's still a lot more that I can do that where it's it's learning, learning more about myself to further lean into that because that's the stuff that always seems to be most successful, but is also most fulfilling. And so I think that's, you know, probably we'll never fully know ourselves, even though we think we know ourselves better than anyone. That's something that I've just really realized this year and I'm continuing to realize just at this ground level of, of doing successful creation. Creative work. 
Awesome. And just flipping the script a little bit, giving you the microphone and having you ask me a question now. You're a very creative, uh, strong marketing person. If you were to ask me a question that you felt my creating content around might help my audience, what would be a question that you would ask me? Oh, man, that's a good one. Let's see. Hmm. I love this question and it's a bit entertaining, but I feel that it stumps a lot more people than I ever thought it would. Yeah, it's a it's a tough one. It's also some pressure to to have the best question that uh, that anyone's ever asked you. Throwback to earlier. Remember, it doesn't need to be the best. We can do a hundred bad ones first. <laughs> yeah. I guess I would ask you what's something that I guess I would ask you what's something that you aren't doing that you know you should be and why aren't you doing it? Okay, so you said that I had a challenging prompt and that is an equally challenging question. (laughs) I could take it in a million different directions, talk about exercise, nutrition, maybe sleep, a whole bunch of things, but I do feel like I'm going to take it in a more specific to what we've been talking about direction, talking about this idea of business and, and podcasting as it relates to building brand. So for me, there's been a lot of personal things that have happened, but that aside, I've been building this show for a while. And up until very recently, it was kind of like another thing. It was, you know, I had YouTube, I had blogging, I had uh, social media, and I had all these different kind of balls that I was juggling in the air at the same time, just trying to tinker with things and try different things and figure out what I liked. Now that I know that I really love podcasting, both the interviews and the solos, if that's what brings people value, but the podcast in general. And if I actually want to make it a priority, which means the number one thing, not the top two, because by definition, priority really means one, then I need to focus and make sure, I suppose, that my day-to-day atomic habits map towards building this show out so that it can be essentially a full-time thing, or at least, if nothing else, a show that brings thousands and thousands of people a lot of value. And so very recently, I made that decision, that conviction that this is what I want to build in terms of, like we talked about earlier, that five to 10-year plan. It's going to be successful if that success is reverse engineered to habits that allow me to have a lot of consistency. And it's not hard to tell that if you go look at the recent uploads, the consistency is there now, and I just need to maintain that. But building the habits that allows me to maintain that and focus is the most important thing. That was a fairly tough question, but really helpful. And thank you, because it allowed me to reflect and is going to allow me to push myself even more. Oh, man, that's a that's a great answer. That's uh, that's spot on. I like that. I feel like that's actually another thing I've been learning. I think this year is the the importance of focus. And kind of like you mentioned, too, like if I want this to be a priority in other people's lives, like it needs to be a priority in mine. Yeah. And one thing I see a lot of people do is they want to build habits or systems like I'm often preaching about, but you can't even do that unless you have clarity and you've made the decision that this is what you want to Mm -hmm, do. mm -hmm. And so even more than just like time management or focusing systems for me was actually making that big decision. And I've had a couple of things that have gotten in the way in general too. The first day that I released an episode for the show, that night, my brother died in a car accident. Uh, And then I've had that play out again with another brother, essentially, as I was building some more momentum, another death. And 
it's just always kind of derailed me a bit where I almost fall into that graveyard of podcasters, you know, like people talk about they've made seven episodes and given up or or three episodes and give up on average. I almost fell into that population. But part of what was happening was that sort of existential feeling of like, is this what I want to do with my time Mm -hmm. and energy and life? Is it all worth it? You know, having to schedule and book guests and edit shows and upload and market and all of the hard work that goes into creating a show the way that you want to build it, is it all worth it? You know, when life is so short and these kinds of things where my mind was at at the time. But again, a big part of that was that I hadn't made the decision that I did want this to be my main thing. And making that decision makes it now where really nothing could derail me. Yeah. So that's the answer, I guess. And like I said, I could have said to sleep more hours or stop eating donuts, but I really appreciate talking (laughs) specifically about knowing that I should make that decision for this show and it hadn't quite clicked yet. So I look forward to reflecting back on this moment. So thank you for that question. And uh, one last question that I have for you is where and why might people want to find you online? The kind of lowest barrier to entry place to find me is on Twitter at I am Jeremy Enns. That's where I'm most active on on social media. I've also put together a page uh, at counterweightcreative.co slash learned, which has all the links to, I mean, social profiles, blog posts, newsletters, courses, all that kind of stuff. And I've got a bunch of, a lot of free offerings and then some paid offerings as well for anyone who's really looking to go deeper into the the podcast marketing side of things. Uh, So counterweightcreative.co slash learned, and you can find all the links uh, to everything I'm up to there. Well, like you said earlier, when you first start playing around in social media or online business, over time, you make connections with people that you would love to work with. And certainly you're one of those people. I can't even remember if it's Instagram or Twitter because social media blends together for me, especially when you're having good conversations with great people. Either way, we met and I trust that it will create a lifetime partnership of supporting each other's work. And mostly, I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to do this awesome episode. Well, yeah, this has been so great. And uh, thank you so much for having me on, Justin. Yeah, of course. Anytime. Like I said, we can run it back. Awesome. That was a good one. (laughs) Yeah, it was. I'm sure. I'm sure this one will help a lot of people. Thanks again. JKL fam, thank you so much for being here. And thank you to our guest, Jeremy. He's a wealth of knowledge and we could have definitely went on for hours with this episode. If you have a request for a guest or topic for solo episodes that you'd like to have on the show, just reach out and let us know. It would also mean the world if you left reviews, but most importantly, if you know that there's someone who could benefit from this show, please do pass them the link. Until the next episode, all the best. And remember, just keep learning. You're one step closer to making your big dreams come true, but there's plenty more where that came from. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And if you know anyone who might love the show, send them a link. We'll see you next time on Just Keep Learning with Justin at Just Tries.